entry. Um, I can't. I just can't resist the opportunity while there's still noise to tell you that I met. I not. I didn't meet. I saw Peter Hellier. It just in the park, just over there. And it was just this weird moment, this this fanboy moment. I was like, oh my god, it's Peter Hellier. I can't believe it. It's Peter. And I just could not even go up to speak to him because I was just like frozen with fear. Uh, someone so famous could be in such a humble place like the Eltham Park. Yeah, so there you go. That's about as good as it gets. I also, I, you know, every time I meet someone famous, I have this exact same experience. I just go to pieces. Um, year 11, I was, um, our physics teacher set up this uplink to Mir, the Mir space station, the Russian Mir space station, which was, you know, orb obviously orbiting the Earth. Uh, he, he was like a ham radio enthusiast, so he like, was able to... Yeah, so we were actually able to ask, the qu ask questions of the cosmonauts in the Mir uh, space station. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And um, when it came to mine, I was just like, I just went to pieces and I just couldn't talk. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm actually talking to a cosmonaut. It was really embarrassing. It fell apart. So yeah, our, our brushes with fame are quite interesting. I know what you guys are like. Obviously, Jesus is, um, a, it's going to be interesting meeting Jesus face to face, isn't it? I think I'm going to go to pieces a bit more than with Peter Hellier. So, <coughs> um, grab your Bibles and open them up to uh, Matthew. We're looking at um, this passage in Matthew today. Um, we're, we're doing mountaintop experiences, right? So, we've, we've looked at a whole bunch of mountaintop experiences and we're leading up to um, Resurrection Sunday in a couple of weeks' time. And really, we should be doing what we're talk, calling today Palm Sunday next week because that's when Palm Sunday actually is celebrated, the week before. But for some reason, we got to this passage this week and I thought we could swap things around and maybe in hindsight we should have, but we didn't. So we're doing it this week. Um, so that's the, that's the passage we're going to look at today, Matthew 21. But before we get there, I just want to um, put, just do some, a little bit of background just so when we get to the passage we can say some stuff that's relevant Check out Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is often a passage which is just um, skimmed over, you know, if you're doing a read the Bible type thing or if you're reading Matthew right through. Often the first verse of um, Matthew's Gospel, we just kind of go bleary-eyed because it's talking about a genealogy. And the genealogy, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Whenever the Simpsons wants to sort of mock the Bible, this is where this is the go-to sort of place, you know. Dada was the father of Dada. This goes on and on, and it seems to us to be relatively uninteresting. But there's some really powerful stuff embedded in this very first verse of Matthew, which sets up the entire gospel for us. So the, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. So the two most important people for Matthew as we want to understand Jesus, who Jesus is, and as, as Matthew wants to introduce to us who Jesus is and, and, and how to make sense of his life, death and resurrection, um, the two people he draws attention to is David and, and Abraham. So I thought let's start there um, and let's just check out a couple of these verses as we start to think about these people. So he, he, he um, says we're looking at Messiah and when we want to understand Messiah, we want to understand that he's, he's the son of David and we want to understand his relationship to Abraham. So let's start back at the start with Abraham and let's check out Genesis chapter 12 uh, and verse 3. 
Uh, so we're going to look at the problem. We're, we're going to do this just by very briefly looking at a, a massive promise which is made to Abraham, and then we're going to look at a, a massive promise which is made to David, and then we're going to understand this passage sort of in light of that. So um, Genesis 12. So this is the call of Abram, right? This is before Abram has had his name changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All people, and so that, I guess that's the that's the the idea we really want to focus on this idea that all peoples, all people, will be blessed through this one, this Messiah, or really through Abraham, but then ultimately coming forward um, through the Messiah. So that's this this blessing that that, that the blessing is to all nations. Um, and it seems that as when we find ourselves in the first century, it seems that the, 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 the Israel itself in many ways seems to, from our perspective as we read some of these texts and some of the other stuff by other people writing in the first century, it seems that Israel's largely lost this view of being a blessing to all the nations. Um, and uh, may, maybe, you know, understandably, given they're just completely under attack from Rome and un under the thumb, you know, their, 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 their primary focus is, you know, how's God going to bless us? How's God going to free us? And, and, and this idea of being a blessing to, to the whole world is, is kind of largely muted in many ways. So there, there's, there's this, there, that is the promise, though, to Abraham, that he'll be a blessing to all, all nations. Um, now, let's have a look at the, a text for David, which is um, 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, uh, I think it's 16. But we can probably have a look at a few other ones. <clears throat> okay, 2 Samuel. Okay, so for those of you that know the story pretty well, um, we've got this thing where, where David has um, just um, built his, his... Let me just read this thing. David's built his his palace, um, and now he says, I'd like to build a temple for God. Um, and and the, prophet, the prophet Samuel says, yeah, go for it. And then, and then the text says, and then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, just hold on, hold on a bit. Um, <clears throat> let me just read it. That night of the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, oh, sorry, yeah, not Samuel, Nathan, um, go to my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Right, so they have this, um, this movable tent. This is the one that started in Exodus and has moved all the way. And now it's situated um, in Jerusalem. Wherever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over many, over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I'll make your name great. 
like the names of the greatest men on earth. That's relevant, isn't it, to what we were talking about before? And I'll provide a, f- a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they have a home with, of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. Imagine reading this in the first century, as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders. Over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father and he'll be my son. Right? So there's this thing that God is doing through someone who's going to come from David, through his offspring, and that um, this, this idea of father and son, and it'll establish a kingdom forever. But if we read on, it's a little bit more complicated because he says this, when he does wrong, I'll punish him. Well, it's obviously not talking about Jesus um, in the first instance. Um, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will be never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. But so the most immediate person that we think of, you know, with regards to David is obviously David's son Solomon, right? So as Solomon becomes this amazing king, but he blows it, right? And he, he becomes this ongoing um, picture of, of Israel, that Israel is called to this wonderful thing, um, but continues to mess it up. And that's the story which just continues to unfold all the way as we, as we go through, forward to Jesus. Um, so that verse at the end, your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. So Israel is asking the question and has been asking the questions for centuries. Who is this person that God is actually going to raise up and that he's going to be the king that who, who, through whom this kingdom of Yahweh will actually reign forever? Who, who is it going to be? Um, and this is really important background as we start to then read, um, read this text. Right, so... Um, let me just write the words uh, forever. King, there'll be a person who will be king forever in the, in the line of David. Um, so now with our, now as we sort of turn now to our text in, in Matthew, um, we can read it with, that, with those two promises in mind. So I, so I guess as Matthew starts his gospel with uh, Matthew chapter 1, he's drawing our attention to Jesus this is the genealogy of Jesus, who is the Messiah, right? The son of David. He's the, Jesus is the fulfillment of this king forever promise, right? The son of Abraham. Through Abraham, all people will be blessed. So Jesus is now is this person through whom all people are going to be blessed. So uh, Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to... Uh, I always pronounce that Bethpage, but I just heard you say it Beth. Bethage or something. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Beth. Phage. Totally. I was like, I've been saying it wrong. Um, How do other people say that? What do you say when you read it? Beth Page. Okay. Good. So maybe that's wrong, but doesn't sound that silly. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus. Okay. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to this place called Beth Page on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Right, and so just, just in terms of the geography of the, of the place, we're talking about mountains, 
right? And so we have we have these two this we have these two mountains sort of next to each other, these two large hills which we would call mountains. And on the one we have Jerusalem, and then there's a valley in between them, and then really close by um, there's the other which is the Mount of Olives. And so from the Mount of Olives you can see Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem you can see the Mount of Olives, and, and vice versa. This this is the way this sort of thing um, is working. Um, Go to the village ahead of you. So there's a village on the Mount of Olives ahead of Bethpage. Um, and there you'll find a donkey tied there, a colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right, so there's this, there's this prophetic word in, um, in Zechariah that is, that is talking about this, this one, this, this Messiah who's going to come. Let's have, we should really have a quick read of that. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's two quotes from the Old Testament here, so we, let's have a look at both of them. So Zechariah um, chapter 9, this is a good time to have your electronic Bible because it's kind of hard to find this one. Um, Zechariah 9 and verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Interesting what's kind of left out in the quote there by Matthew as he's recounting this, this prophecy um, and, and he leaves righteous and victorious out. <coughs> um, right, so there's, there's this prophetic idea of, of um, your, your king comes to you righteous and victorious riding on a donkey. So Jesus is, Jesus is enacting this out. The re, like he grabs, he gets a donkey, rides it into Jerusalem. This is like we're focusing on the big picture of this passage. What, are we, what is this passage talking about? Let's major on the majors and minor on the minors. But as we, as we major on this central idea, what is going on here is Jesus is basically saying, I am this king. And that's how everyone is, is understanding it as well. As they start to call, as they start to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, as they, as they cry, that they're, they're, they're saying, this is the king. He's coming. Um, this is it. It's happening. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe in your own time, if you want to, you can read Zechariah um, 9. And it's a bit more complicated than we might like it to be. It's not, it's, you know, it's about bringing peace. I will take away chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bro will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from city to city. So there was all this awesome stuff um, about peace. But that peace sort of comes at the end of a, if we read on, at the end of a battle. You know, there's going to be this massive battle. Um, so... You know, this text is, is, is really, it doesn't fit into a nice, neat little box um, that we might, we might want it to. But anyway, Jesus enacts it and he says, I am this king. He rides, into, he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey as a way of saying, I am the king that, um, that, you've, that everyone's been waiting for, that Israel has been waiting for. This, this king, that, this promise that's gone to David is now being fulfilled through me. Disciples went on, Jesus did as he instructed them. They brought the donkey, the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is why we call it 
Palm Sunday, right? This, this cutting down of branches and putting them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. There you go, Daz. I've yelled it out. I didn't do it when you now have. Blessed is he. Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is, this is the guy who is, is now claiming to, be, um, claiming to be the king. So um, let's have a quick look at this Psalm 8 and Psalm 118 um, text because this, this is what they're quoting, Psalm 118. It's a good practice in Bible studies um, to go back to the, the quote and kind of have a go at reading it in context. So Psalm 118 um, interestingly in this psalm, this is where we get, let's just read from verse 22. This is where we get this text also. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. You recognise that? that? That comes just in the, literally the very next story about Jesus um, and the temple, cleansing the temple. Um, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord... And then this is verse 25. This is what they kept calling out. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Right, so it's this, Lord, save us. This is the cry, Hosanna. What does it, what does it mean? Like it's just such a foreign word to us. It's this cry, um, God, save us. It's this way of saying, here is our king coming to us. God, use this person right here. Use him to save us. And when, they, when they're saying save us, what do you reckon they mean? As they look around and they're expecting this king to save us, what do they, what do they mean when they're yelling that out? They obviously mean, well, save us from Rome. Save us from these people who are occupying our territory, this territory that you have given to Abraham, that David fought all these battles to finally come into and to defend. Um, There's these pagans in here. They're in control. You're meant to be in control. God, save us, which means kick these guys out. And so Jesus is, is coming in knowing that all those sorts of ideas as people shouting out, you know, save us. Jesus knows that's what they're thinking and also knows that's not actually the way that it's, that it's going to go down. It's going to go down in, in the exact opposite way. So there's this battle which is about to happen and as we, as we push forward beyond this text, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem um, he, he's, he's showing himself as king. When we start to ask ourselves some questions like, what, what, does, what is Jesus' throne look like? The answer that Matthew gives us is his throne is actually a cross. The enthronement of Jesus, the time when, when he reaches, enters into his glory, this happens when he is crucified. So this king, as we read the story right through, um, he is achieving his victory in a very different way to the ways of the world. So as we start to think about Myanmar, as we start to think about Hong Kong and all the, all the sort of things that are happening with the clashing of, of powers, this, this is the same sort of thing which Jesus is speaking into here in the first century. There's a way of that the world goes about power and kingly, kingship and rulership and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm doing it in a totally different way. There's going to be a sword involved and I'm going to be at the pointy end of it rather than the handle end of it. This is the way the kingdom goes forward in this new way that Jesus is, 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 is inviting us into. So what, what does this mean for us? The, the, the throne is the cross 
and the the victory is a victory um, over not not the powers of Rome, but really the power which sits behind the powers of Rome. Right. So the victory is over evil itself, and evil finds itself with certain uniforms, certain armor, a Roman. Um, but Jesus is Jesus is defeating the power of evil itself and the power of death itself. This is the victory which Jesus is actually bringing about, which is so much greater and so much beyond a, 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 a military. I guess uh, I want to say that this obvious thing, Jesus is actually our king. Really. He's, he is actually a king. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And what that what that truth sort of invites us into is uh, how are we going to respond to him? Are we going to place ourselves under his authority or not? So there's this invitation. Lots of us are followers of Jesus. Um, And so for those of us that aren't followers of Jesus, my my question to you is, I encourage, I want to say, would you like to become a follower of Jesus? But I want to say much stronger than that, this is the most important thing you could possibly do is to become a follower of Jesus, this King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the place you'll find peace. This is the way that you'll find freedom from the power of sin, the power of death, the powers of evil that push against. This King is the only one that can actually has actually had victory over that. So I want to say that for those that aren't followers of Jesus and for those that are, we need to continue to trust. We need to continue to trust that Jesus does actually have victory over these powers. Because a lot of the time it feels like it doesn't. It, 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 this is this is this is um, there's this dissonance thing going on. Yes, Jesus is King in my head, but gee, it doesn't look like it. We're not in any we're not in any new historical situation. That is that is the tension that Christians have lived with since the since the beginning, since Jesus rose from the dead. This is the tension. Jesus is King, but at the same time. There's this, there's this struggle of, of power going on. And we need to live in that. And, we, and I guess my, my big idea, which I really want to encourage us, as, as we this week say, you know, Hosanna, Jesus is King, save us. We need to trust that that's actually true. Because a lot of the time, circumstances say, invite us to think otherwise. And, and I guess one of the ways that we can actually survive that difficult struggle of yes, Jesus is King, and I've just got to trust. I've got to trust that that the ultimate victory is going to. There's going to be a day when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be a day when we're all healed in the sense that we all have this new resurrection body, just like Jesus has. So lots of us struggling with all sorts of different sort of physical things going on, all sorts of different people struggling with uh, mental illness in all sorts of different manifestations. Um, you know, struggling with, with breaking free from cycles of sin. Oh, these are all things that are, the, that are real for us as a little community. Right? So we, we need to trust that Jesus has actually won the victory and be, there will be one day when God makes all of this right, where, the, where there is no more tension. There is a day coming where God is going to resurrect all of us, we're going to have a, a resurrection body the same as, as Jesus' resurrection body where the glory of the Lord is going to fill and the whole creation that we see is going to be recreated, renewed. That's my, that's my encouragement for us um, this week. Jesus is king. 
let's continue to trust into that this week. Steve, thank you so much for the way that you did that this morning with these candles. Um, and we, we, the, the light of, of, of Jesus' victory just continues to, to burn. And, and yet at the same time, you know, sometimes we don't have words even to, to, even to describe you know, how hard it is to live in the midst of this sort of tension. So Steve, that's awesome. And let me, so let me pick up this symbol and, and pray for us as we go into our week. God, thank you that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, help us to continue to follow you and be obedient to you. Lord, that's really hard. Lord, help us to continue to trust you, empower us through your spirit to be people of trust. Lord, help us to hold on to that hope of one day a final renewal of all things. Amen. Thanks, guys. It's time for morning tea.